People told me that when I was going through all this. God's got this. Well, I know he's got it, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's going to make everything okay. He didn't in Paul's life, and so far he hadn't done everything that I want him to do in my life. But, just like Paul, he didn't remove the thorn in the flesh in Paul's life, whatever that was. And I am not back the way I once was, and I may never be. And I have to be okay with that. Because God can use me no matter what. And we have to get to that point where we say, God, whatever it is, I surrender to you. Because, God, what your will is and what you planned for me before you ever created anything, you knew me, and you have a plan for my life. And it may not always be blessings. It may not always be exactly what we want or what we think we, uh, God can do in our lives. We want the blessings, but we don't want the sword. So often we talk about blessings, but God has a sword that he uses as well. Sometimes that sword cuts both ways. <clears throat> and sometimes that sword is to cut things out of our life that don't need to be there. From hindering God from being and doing what he wants to do in our lives. So let's look in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Notice what he says here. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now what does that mean, to him whom we have to do? That means that we have to answer to. That we have to give accountability to. And notice verse 14. He says, therefore, since we know that God sees everything in our lives... Notice what he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Because one day we're going to stand before God as believers. Not to be judged whether we go to heaven or hell, but what did we do with our lives since we became a Christian? And that tape is going to be played before you and God. And everything that you did, everything you thought, everything in your life, you're going to give an account for. And it's not for judgment, but it's for how many trophies do you get that you can lay at the feet of Jesus. And it's going to be a sad day when you have maybe one or none that you can lay at the feet of Jesus after all he's done for you. All right, notice in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even in the difficult times when God brings that about or allows that to come into our life to mold and shape us so that we can become more like him. You know, we can find grace and help and mercy at the throne of God, at the feet of God, and we can go there because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, we are so thankful for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Father, for the fact that there is no condemnation for those that belong to you. 
And we can trust you and we can believe in your faithfulness. Even in difficult times, you are still faithful to us. And you're doing what you know needs to be done in our lives. And we have to trust you with that and allow you to do it. And still give you praise and honor. Because you are a a faithful, loving God who only wants what is best for us. Who wants us to be totally surrendered to you. So that you can use us as your trophies of grace. To shine into a dark and and lonely world that needs to know that God loves them, died for them, and he wants to save them. Father, I pray that you will move in our hearts here today in a mighty way. Father, help us to see ourselves for who we really are, not who we think we are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story of an older brother and a younger sister. And the older brother would go climbing up this mountain. And the little sister always wanted to go with him. But the mother said, no, it's too dangerous for you to go. You have to wait till you are old enough to go and climb that mountain. And so finally the day came when she was able to go with her older brother to climb the mountain. And as they were winding their way to where they were going to start climbing the mountain, she saw all these bumpy places and stony places and and these big hills. And and she said, look at all the stones. How are we going to climb that mountain? I thought it was going to be smooth. And the brother said, if it wasn't for those bumps and it wasn't for those stones and it wasn't for those rocks... We wouldn't be able to climb the mountain. That's where we hold on to. That's where we put our feet at to go to the top. If it was all smooth, then we wouldn't be able to climb that mountain. And that's the way our life is. Our life cannot be all smooth and us grow in the Lord and to become what he wants us to become. So God, in his faithfulness, allows and even puts things in our life so that as we go through that and he proves his faithfulness and he shows us how much he loves us and he does a work in our life and we grow in him and we become more like him, he is doing the work that needs to be done in our life so that we can get to the top and be more effective for God in his kingdom. Often our lives are like the hill climbed by the squirrel. We marvel at the bumps and, and, and all the things that we have to get over in our lives. But God is doing everything so that even in the struggles, we are headed up. We are becoming more like Christ each and every day. You see, these Hebrews here and these verses are people that are really struggling You see, they are struggling because they are having a rough time because of persecution. You see, they were undergoing intense persecution where they were tortured and some were even killed for their faith because they would not renounce Jesus Christ. And at the same time, some of them were just ostracized in the community and some were at the point they couldn't buy or they couldn't sell like anybody else in town because they were Christians and people had something against Christians and and, and they were not allowing them to 
interact in the community, that's sort of like where we're getting to be at today in the United States. If you look and see, I heard this morning when I was getting ready that there's a, a certain internet company and cable company called Spectrum that has um, taken away some of the conservative cable uh, companies and wouldn't allow certain things because they were conservative, because they were Christian. And we see that with businesses. Look at Disney. Look at all the different companies around, Coke and everybody else, and how if you stand for something, if you stand for Christ, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be um, one of the people that they come against. You see, their faith was a daily struggle, and many felt like giving up. And they were tempted to give up their public uh, proclamation and profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll do it in my closet. I'll do it in private, but I'm not going to do it in public. Does that sound like a lot of Christians today that we know? Maybe even ourselves? That, that we will, in church, raise our hands and we will praise God, but we're not going to go out and publicly do anything to cause us difficulty or pain or somebody come against us. You see, we want to talk about the blessings, but we don't want to talk about the persecution that may come. You see, we don't want to stand for God if it's going to cause us some pain or difficulty. You see, they wouldn't stop being saved because Jesus says that once you're saved, you're always saved. But yet and still, they are not going to be beneficial for the kingdom of God. They're going to be one of those carnal Christians that just are getting by. And, and, and they're getting by here and, and maybe not suffering as much on this world, in this world. But when they get to heaven, there's no crowns. I mean, they haven't lived for Christ, really, only in church maybe, but that's the only place they've lived for him. You see, while we aren't being persecuted to any great extent today, we are tempted to have our outside life not match what we do when we are with brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we are tempted to look at every other source for help and strength, and we are tempted to, to reach out to the world and try to find help in the world when Jesus is the last place that we go to. And he should be the first place that we go to. And we should stand for him firm. But so often we don't do that. So let's look and see why Jesus is that faithful God. Why we can trust him. Why we can be faithful to him. Why we can do whatever God wants to do in our lives. And allow him to have his will in his way. And we're totally surrendered to him. Number one, because he has the ability to see your pathway. Notice in verse 13. He says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, there is nothing that happens. There is no thought that you have. There is nothing in your life that God doesn't know about. You see, God knows you more intimately than you know yourself. You see, these verses deal expressly with the idea of judgment here. 
It reminds us that God keeps a perfect record and one day will execute swift judgment. You see, when you stand before God, even as a Christian, when you stand before God, you are going to have to look and see all the things that you thought and all the things that you did and all the things you didn't do in front of God. And can you imagine what that day is going to be like? When you begin to hide your face and you begin to be so ashamed of the way you acted as a Christian and what you did and what you did not do. You see, the same attribute that allows God to see all the evil that is done by the wicked also allows him to observe the steps of believers. It allows him to see every bit of our life. And everything that we do and everything that we think. You see, God is constantly watching your path. The eyes of the Lord miss nothing. In Proverbs 15.3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. It's in every place. There's no place that you can go that God does not see you. And God doesn't know what you're thinking. You see, in Matthew 10, 30 and 31, it says, But the very hairs of your head are numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, what does that mean? You are more valuable than many sparrows. Well, in the verse preceding that, it talks about that he sees any sparrow that falls. And, and they are worth, in that period of time, the least corn the least most valuable coin um, there was. It's like two sparrows cost hardly nothing. The, the least of the money worth at that time is what two sparrows would cost. It's like saying today two sparrows would cost one cent in our currency. And so here he is saying that God sees every sparrow that falls. He knows every hair upon your head. And for some of us, that's more difficult than others. <laughs> you know, but God knows you that intimately. He knows you that well. And if he knows every hair on your head and how many hairs do you lose every day and how many hairs do you grow every day, that means that he is constantly knowledgeable about you. And if he's constantly knowledgeable about your hair on your head, then I'm sure he knows everything you've done and every thought that you've had. You see, the, the disciples out in the midst of the storm, and they were struggling. You remember that in Mark? And Jesus had sent them out there, and they were in the midst of the storm, and Jesus seeing them straining at the oars, trying to get across, trying to get out of that storm. And, and I've carried some pastors over to Israel, and we sat there where he fed the, the thousands of people, and we looked out on the Sea of Galilee. And to be honest with you, it wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be, but it's a, it's a big lake. But he sees his disciples out there straining at the oars, and so he comes to them, and they see him, and they are afraid. They thought he was a ghost, and, and so they are terrified and what does Jesus say to them? Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. It is I. Take courage. And so what he is saying is the great I am. The I am all things to you. 
is here and I can take care of this storm. But yet and still, we are so much like the disciples that we forget who Jesus really is in our lives. What he can do and the promises that he has given us. You see, God is continually working our path out. You see, he had a plan and a path for us before he ever created anything. He knew you and he had a plan mapped out for you. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, The Lord directs the steps of man. So he has got a path for you, and sometimes he lights up the path, and sometimes he just lights up one step at a time. But he's got a plan, and he knows where you need to go, and he knows what you need to be doing each and every moment of every day. You see, regardless of where he leads, be sure that God is still in control of your life. In Romans 8.28, it says, All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You see, no matter what God brings in your life or no matter what he allows in your life, it is always for your good. He didn't say it was good. It's sort of like when you bake a cake. And, and some of the ingredients that you put into that cake, if you eat it by itself, is going to be detrimental to you. But if you blend it all together, mix it all together, it becomes a beautiful cake that is delicious. And that's what God is like. God brings good things, and he also brings difficult things to help us grow and mature and become more like him. You see, there was a small boy playing with his sailboat, and the wind kind of pushed it out further in the lake than he could get to. And so this big boy came and began to throw rocks out there. And the little boy said, why are you throwing rocks at my sailboat? And he said, just trust me, I know what I'm doing. And he kept throwing rocks out there. And what he was doing was throwing the rocks on the other side of the sailboat, making or creating waves to push the boat back toward him. And the little boy got the sailboat. You see, that's what God does sometimes. God is throwing stuff at us. Difficult times, difficult struggles, but it's to bring us to the point that we need to be at in our lives. You see, God knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him even when we don't understand it, and even when we don't even like it. We must trust God, and that's what these verses are saying here. This is what Paul is saying to those Hebrews that want to give up and want to say, I'll live my Christian life privately, but not publicly. You see... Almost everyone would rather have sunshine than rain. But what if it never rained? That would be horrible. Everything would dry up. You've got to have both. You see, to make us fit for his work, the instruments of his grace, the trophies of his grace, he puts us through all kinds of difficulties. He puts us under the smelter's fire. Notice what I mean in the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, notice what he says. And he will set a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings of righteousness. Now notice that. He says that 
He is going to be like a smelter. What is a smelter? He takes the, the ore out of the ground that's dirty and got all kind of impurities and all kind of trash in it. And he puts it in a pot and, the heat, and he puts the fire up hot. And it begins to come to the top. The impurities do. The impurities and all the trash and all the things that causes that gold or silver not to be pure. And so the smelter wipes the dross off, all the things that come to the top that shouldn't be in there. He keeps wiping it off until he can look into that pot and see nothing but his reflection. And that's what God does. He turns the fire up in our lives from time to time so that he can look in our lives and see nothing but his reflection. See nothing but who he is and who he has called us to be. And so God is doing a work in your life even when you don't like it. Everything God does in your life, allows, he allows or he brings about so that you can become more like Jesus Christ. So that you can have the image of Jesus Christ shine through you so that the world, when they look at you, they see Christ. They see somebody who is Christ-like. They see somebody they want to become like. Everything that God does is for your benefit, even though you don't always understand it. But second of all, he has the ability to sense your pain. Notice with me in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet... Without sin. Now, can you imagine what that is like? Can you imagine what Jesus really went through? Can you imagine all the temptation that was thrown at him? Can you imagine all the pain that he went through as he went through life? Can you imagine all the people that was against him? Can you imagine what it was like to, to be whipped with a cord of nine lives where there's pieces of bone and everything else entwined in that rope or leather and it wrap around you and pull back and it just pulls the flesh off? Can you imagine being crucified and hanged there knowing that you were innocent? Now think with me for just a second. It says that Jesus never sinned. That means his mind, that means his heart, that means his body, that means his mouth, that means everything about him. There's not a part of him that ever yielded to any sin. Can you imagine that? While people are crucifying you, spitting upon you, and doing all kind of horrible things to you, it, would it not be hard to not have thoughts of, of hatred and vindictiveness? Against those people? I mean, let's be real honest. All that he went through and he never sinned. That's, that's amazing to me. You see, the use of a double negative here makes it a positive exclamation of the Lord's power. 
the power to overcome any temptation, any struggle, any difficulty. And that's what he gives you the ability to do as Christians because you become joined as with Jesus Christ and all the power that he has through the power of the Holy Spirit gives you that ability not to yield to temptation. So when you yield to temptation, it's because as a Christian you choose to, not because you have to. Because God has empowered you the same way that Jesus was empowered. To not yield to temptation of anger or vindictiveness or anything else during his whole life. You see, he feels our pain. You see, look at Saul. In Acts chapter 9 verse 4, when Saul had the encounter on the Damascus road. What did God say to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Who did he say? Why are you persecuting my believers? Is that what he said? Why are you persecuting me? He felt the pain of those people. He feels our pain. He feels our struggles. He knows what we're going through. And he's there to help us and comfort us if we will allow him to do that. You see, just as he feels our pain, he feels the pain of every person upon the face of the earth. All that have ever walked and all that ever will walk. Jesus knows what you feel and he loves you. When you hurt, he hurts. You know, it's just like your child. When your child is sick or your child is hurt, as a parent and you love that child, you hurt too. When you punish your child, it, it, it's not pleasant, is it? I used to think, you can't, I can't wait till I get old, and I'm going to punish my child the way I got punished. Nah, that don't work that way. You know, it, you, it, it hurts when your child hurts. Can you imagine multiplied that a thousand times, and that's what Jesus feels. When you hurt, he hurts too. Some of us may ask, well, how can Jesus know what I'm going through? He's, he's perfect. He's way up in heaven. He, how can he possibly feel what I'm feeling and feel my pain and feel my struggles and feel my difficulties? He's able to know what humans feel because he lived as a human and has experienced the same hardships that you and I experience yet without sin. He knows what suffering means. He knows what loneliness means. He knows what all of those mean. So how can he feel our pain? Number one, he understands temptation. You remember back in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, you remember Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And all of a sudden he was led out into the wilderness and, and Satan tempted him in three major ways. But one of those ways I want to look at because he had, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Have you ever been 40 days without food or water? Can you imagine what his body was going through during that time? Because he was fully human too. Can you imagine what his body was going through? And then he was tempted to turn the stones into bread so that he could have something to eat. But then I want you to notice verse 4 because this is really, really important. In verse 4, it says, But he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
But notice this. But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, if you look at that in the Greek, that word, word there, is really rhema, which means every particular word. Not just the word as a whole, but every particular part of the word of God. You see, we all have our pet verses and things that we like to memorize and things that we like to hold on to. But he says every word is something that we need to digest, every part of the word of God, because there's going to come temptations that you can only handle if you know the whole totality of the word of God and what God has promised. And so here we see that Jesus was able to, to go through those temptations and not yield to those temptations because he knew that God was sufficient and that God could take care of him. And he knew every particular word of God. But also, he understands rejection. In John 6, 66, it says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so, he had the 12 disciples, but he had other people that he called disciples too, or they called themselves disciples, that walked with him. But yet and still, when it really got difficult, when things got hairy, what did they do? They fell away. Sounds like a church today, don't it? Sounds like the church in America today. You see, we began to fall away. He knows what it's like to have the world turn its back on you. In fact, he knows what it's like to face something that no one in this room has ever, ever experienced, even as Christians. We've never experienced that. And that is to have God the Father turn his back on you. Throughout all eternity past, God the Father and God the Son were in perfect unity until he was on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what did he mean by that? God had to turn his back on his son because his son was sinful for the first time ever. And that's because he took on your sins and my sins and everybody else's. He took on the sins of the world that was upon his shoulders, bearing that pain, bearing that guilt. And the father had to turn his back until the sacrifice was complete. And when he made the sacrifice and shed that blood, it covered the sins of all the world for all of those that will trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior. He understands poverty and he understands need. You see, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, I think that verse is really important because what it means is Jesus was not living for this world. Now, it's not wrong to have things. We've got to have a place to live, and we've got to have a car to drive, and we've got to have food, and we've got to have things of the world. I'm not saying that. But yet, and still, for, for many Christians... Their whole life is still about getting stuff. And Jesus is saying, I'm not living for this world. I'm living for that world. I'm living to please the Father. I'm living to glorify Him. 
I'm living to be that trophy of grace for him. He understands need and poverty. He understands what it's like to go through tough times. I never will forget when I was carrying teams to Romania, and I used to go to the European countries, and especially in Romania, to teach in the Baptist seminary over there. And I would do crusades and revivals and different things while I was there. And, and I remember, now you have to understand something, communism had just fell in Romania. And, and so the Greek Orthodox Church was the state church during communism. And it still was even after communists fell. And they were over the educational system. They were over parts of the government. And the Greek Orthodox Church hated anybody that was evangelical. And they hated me. And they came against me while I was there from time to time. And, and it was sickening to go down the street um, and see them with their rings on their fingers, the priest, the Greek Orthodox priest, with the rings on their fingers, and people would bow down and kneel down and kiss their ring. But anyway, while I was doing a revival one time, the Greek Orthodox Church sent some priests over, and they did everything they could to disrupt the services. But we were able to move on with our service, and in fact, at the end of the service, we had lots of people come forward, and they wanted to be saved. Because for them, the Greek Orthodox Church says that your salvation comes through being part of that church and doing what the church tells you to do. And we were saying, no, it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. There's no other way to be saved. And so they came down, and through the interpreter... I asked one of them, I said, now you understand that if you leave the Greek Orthodox Church and you become part of the evangelical church and begin to say that I'm saved because I know Jesus Christ, then your children may not be able to get an education because they control the education system. And so they would, they would you know, punish those that left the church. And I never will forget the answer that came back. And the answer came back, if I can trust God with my eternity, surely I can trust God with my kids' education. And it blew me away. And I thought, here is a young Christian that is more godly than I am right now. Because I'm doubting, and they're not. You know, as I look and see their dedication, it was amazing to me. You know, they stood up for Christ. I never will forget one time I was over there, and I did not know. I left here with shorts and flip-flops on the plane. Because I had checked the weather, and the weather was supposed to be warmer than it was. And there was a blizzard that came through unexpectedly. I mean, it was like you ride down the road and snow's over here, you know. And, and I was freezing to death. And so I had to get one of the pastor's thermal underwear to put on and, I was in, and a big coat. And I was still freezing while I was trying to preach. But they came in the midst of all of that and sat there 
And they would sit for hours if you would preach that long. And sit there, fully attentive, wanting to hear the word of God, wanting to worship God, singing to worship God. And in the midst of that cold, cold winter, because they had no ability to turn the gas and the heat on because they couldn't afford it. It was cold in there. And yet and still, they came to church. They walked through the snow. If it rains two drops, we stay home. That's where our faith so often is so much different than somebody who has totally surrendered to God and says, God, I'm yours. And I want you to use me, and I want to be used by you in any way possible. You see, he understands loneliness. In Matthew 27, 46, it says, About the ninth hour he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands what it's like to stand alone. Everybody's against you. Everybody thinks you're crazy, but yet and still you're standing on your faith in Christ, in Christ alone. He knows what it's like to have no one around you who understands what you're going through, who understands the the pain and difficulty of having to stand there alone. But also, he has the ability to solve your problems. Notice with me in verse 16. He says, therefore, because of all of what I've said, when you see the word therefore, it's always referring back to what I just said. And so he says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In your time of need, no matter what it is, no matter if it's poverty, no matter if it's pain, no matter what it is, you can find the grace that you need, the mercy that you need from God at his throne. Can you imagine going and standing before the God of this universe, the God, the one and only true God, standing before him in his presence? Can you imagine that? And we have the ability to go to the very throne of God because of Jesus Christ. and Because he has made us sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Notice the petition The Lord gives man an open invitation to come to him for help to get through life. He should be our first resource, not our last. You see, we will try everything we possibly can to help in our lives. But yet and still, it is only God that has the real answer. And we seem to not remember that over and over and over again. Here is God's plan for your trouble. Turn with me to the book of Philippians for just a second. In Philippians, in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, notice what he says here. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, what is that? You're thanking God and you're just now praying. But what does that mean? That you have faith that he's going to take care of it. That he's going to handle it. 
All right, so notice what he says here. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the what? Peace of God. Notice that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so he says here that we are to go to God where we find mercy and where we find help in our time of need. And with thanksgiving, believing God, trusting God that he's going to answer. And then let our request be made known to God and the peace of God passes all understanding, comes into our lives. Because we know that God is handling it. We know that God can take care of it. And First Peter, in chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your anxiety on him because he, what? Cares for you. Notice his power. Notice the word throne there. Earthly kings possess great power and all the power combined in the world is not the power that God has. Why? Because the power of any king is only as great as the power of the kingdom that stands behind him. With that in mind, just what kind of power does Jesus have? Because he has all authority and all power. You see, he has exceeding power. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. Even your wildest imaginations, while you're wondering how he's going to answer this prayer, in your wildest imaginations, he can do greater than that. Also, he has need-meeting power. In Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, which is unlimited. Whatever needs to be done can be done. Look at the, the Israelites as he was leading them through the wilderness before got, they got to the promised land. And they were wondering for 40 years, did they ever have to go to the store and buy new shoes? No, the Bible says their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. And he sent them food every day except on the Sabbath. And they got twice as much on, on the day before so that they wouldn't have to gather it on the Sabbath. He has cleansing power. And 1 John 1, 7, it says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it cleanses us. It makes us pure. It makes us righteous. It makes us perfect as he is perfect. Because it's his blood that covers. He has healing power. Numerous times in the Gospels, we see where Jesus healed people, even brought people back to life once again. He can do whatever he needs to do. He has load-lifting power. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I was working in the garden yesterday, and I was looking for rest. <laughs> you know, God can give you rest in the midst of whatever. He has mountain-moving power. In Matthew 21, 21, it says, And Jesus said to them, If you have faith and not doubt, and if you say to this mountain, Take this up and cast it into the sea, it will happen. And so it doesn't matter. Jesus is not saying he's going to move a mountain, but he could. But what he is saying is that mountain in your life, 
That thing that is so difficult that you just can't seem to get over. God can move it. And God can take care of it. You see, he has all power. In Matthew 28, 18, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's no place that he does not have authority. There's no place that he does not have power. There's nothing that he cannot do except sin. You see, in Matthew 6, he says, But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things. What, what, what is all these things? Well, if you look in the preceding verses, it's talking about the material things that people are worried about. And he says, if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he's going to meet your needs. All these things will be added to you if you just seek him first. And allow him to be the Lord of your life. If you surrender your life totally to him. You remember what he told Moses when Moses said... When Moses, God told Moses to go and free the Israelites, and Moses says, who am I going to say sent me? And he says, who? I am who I am. I am all things. I am all that you need. There's nothing left. That's the God that we serve. In 2 Corinthians 12, 19, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in your weaknesses. And I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot of times in my life that I'm weak. There's a whole lot of times in my life that I just want to give up in the struggle. But you know what? Even in the struggle, we are to glorify the Father. We are to let people see who God is and what he can do in our lives. And so, folks, I'm here to tell you, we need to, as the song said, surrender all. And let him have our lives to do what he wants to do. Not what I want to do, but what he wants to do in my life. I'm here to tell you, when I grew up, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. I, it was really difficult. After Margie and I got married, I became a Christian early in my life. And after Margie and I got married, we were teaching Sunday school. We were doing all kinds of things with youth. We were doing a countywide youth group. And I mean, we were doing a lot of things. One Wednesday, and I was struggling. I had a, a good job then. I mean, it was I, I, I mean, a really good paying job with good benefits. Um, but I wasn't happy. We had a great marriage, but I still wasn't happy. And I never will forget, I told Margie. She was getting ready to go to church, her and the kids. They were really small at that time. And I said, I'm not going tonight. I said, you and the kids go, and I'm going to stay here, and me and God's going to have a conversation. And you have to understand that I was raised uh, in a dysfunctional family, so I didn't have a whole lot of confidence or anything else, and I was kind of shy. <clears throat> and so anyway, I went and laid before God on my face in our bedroom. And I prayed, and I said, God, I can't live like this. you got to do something. And I never will forget, it was not an audible voice that I heard with my ears, but it was a voice that I knew that I knew. And it was God who spoke to me. And he said, I want you to go and preach my word. 
And I said, God, let's try this again because this ain't working. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me again, and I said, God, only if you do it through me because I can't do it. And he's been faithful throughout the years. He's been faithful in our ministry. We've seen great and mighty things happen because of God, not because of us. But God has carried me in places that I never thought that I would go. You couldn't have imagined when I was even 20 years ago that I would be in some of the places around the world carrying the gospel, helping build churches that only God blessed that as you surrender to him and let God work through you. We're going to have a time. A.J., where are you? Okay. A.J.'s going to come up and just strum a little bit. And we're going to have a little bit of time. And I asked you to just spend some time with God and ask God, what do you want me to do? Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. You can have that here today. All you got to do is ask. But what is it that God wants you to do? Surrender yourself totally to him and allow him to use you and use this church to reach this community, to reach this state, and to reach this world with the gospel. You are the key. And so I'm asking you, as he strums for a few minutes, if you will stand, and if you will just be in prayer, And we're not going to be long, but just ask God, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to be? And if it's salvation I need, then come, and we will work you through that. But as he plays, you do that. Father, as we come to you, we come to you humbly. Understanding that we would not be here today in this building if it was not for you. We would not have salvation if it was not for you. We would not be able to approach the throne of God and be children of God if it wasn't for you. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. You are everything to us. So, Father, I pray that you will just help us to surrender ourselves to you. No matter where we are, if we are alone, or if we are at home with our family, or or whether we're at work, or whether we're at school, or wherever we are, in the grocery store, the gas station, wherever we are, that you will use us. And that people will see Christ in us because we are surrendering ourselves to you. And allowing you to be everything to us. To live through us. And the good times and in the bad. You are faithful. And God, we give you praise and honor and glory for that. We pray this all in Jesus' name.